Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Exodus chapter 25 and verse number 22, the Bible says, And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. From between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. I want to minister with the help of the Lord tonight on this subject. Where have you put God? You'll understand that graphic here in just a little bit. But where have you put God? You may be seated. Look at your neighbor tonight and say, I'm going to worship the Lord. The purpose of the tabernacle was to house the ark in which the tablets of the Ten Commandments were placed. The ark was the place where the Spirit of God dwelt. It was a box. It was about two and a half by one and a half cubit rectangular wooden chest with the lid being called and referred to as the mercy seat. With the cherubims or the angels, the cherubims that were sitting on top of glory facing one another with outstretched wings. The blood was sprinkled between the judgment angels who were looking down and when they would see the blood, the wrath and judgment of God would be stayed. The ark was overlaid with pure gold and had a gold crown. Once per year, if you've looked on your calendars at some time, You've probably seen the words Yom Kippur. Uh, That was the season in which the man or the priest could enter beyond the veil. The veil separated man from the Holy of Holies. It was a place that he was not allowed to go. As a matter of fact, if he were to go in there unclean, if he were to go in there improperly, if he was to go in there in any fashion other than in a worship posture, he was going to die. That's why he had a rope around his leg. That way they could drag him out if they heard the bell stop ringing. Uh, So if worship stopped, that meant he was dead. I wonder in parallel what that means for the church today. If worship stops, we're dead. If there's not a noise being made in in the ears of God, then there's not life in the church. But thank God for life. Thank God for Holy Ghost. Thank God for Jesus' name baptism. Thank God for the preached word of God that I can have life and not only have life, Brother Terry, I can have it more abundantly. The veil separated man from the Holy of Holies. It was behind this veil in a 10 cubic squared room called the Holy of Holies that the most sacred piece of furniture in the whole tabernacle was located. That was the Ark of the Covenant. It was mentioned before all the other furniture. It gives you the impression that the tabernacle was built around the Ark. Uh, It gives you the impression, Bishop, that the Ark was placed in place and everything else was built around it because it was the single most important piece of furniture in the tabernacle. It was the center of the camp. The glory cloud was seen above the mercy seat. The glory cloud could be seen in the sky above the back 
portion of the tabernacle. It was the glory cloud that demonstrated the presence of God was in the tabernacle. The Bible tells us in Exodus 25 and 10, And they shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth, and a cubit and a half the height. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold within and without. Thou shalt overlay it, and shalt make, it, make upon it a crown of gold round about. And shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof. And the two rings shall be in one side, and two on the other side. And thou shalt make staves of sheetam wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put staves in the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be born with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. Every bit of this is for a specific reason. And thou shalt put in the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. Thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, and beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the end and the other cherub on the other end, even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above in the... Above the Above upon the ark and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. The ark was a rectangular chest, wooden chest, made of sheetum wood, derived from the acacia tree. It is a tree that is known for its strength. Uh, it is a tree that is known for its, its impermeable strength and its power. Inside the ark rested three pieces of, uh, of items that were located there. The two tables of the law a golden pot of manna, and Aaron's rod that budded. The Ark of the Covenant was where God's justice and judgment towards sin was satisfied. Referred to nearly or over 200 times in the Old Testament. The two unbroken tables of stone were the Ten Commandments. Many of you Bible readers will remember that the original Ten Commandments were broken. They were broken by God's wrath, but God gave another set that was unbroken and had them put, had Israel put them in the Ark of the Covenant. It was grace. In grace, God renewed it. The Book of the Covenant, which dealt at length with other aspects of the law and procedure, was deposited by the Ark. The law was by the Ark. The procedures was by the Ark, but the commandments were in the Ark. Amen. You've got to have some procedures and you need some laws, but there was something better than law itself that was residing within the presence of God, and that was His Word. Amen. The golden pot of manna, an omer of manna, the Bible declares, were the two other, was one of the two other items contained in the ark. A jar containing an omer was about 24 liters of manna as a memorial of God's provision. Exodus 16 and 32 says, And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commandeth. Fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness. When I brought you forth from the land of Egypt, and Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot, put an omer full of manna therein, and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. In other words, they did not want generations to go by without there being something to represent what God had done for them. 
God had performed a great miracle in their life. The Exodus journey in and of itself was a miracle. Yes, they disobeyed God, but even in their disobedience and humanity, God blessed them. God gave them manna from on high. God gave them quail to eat. He gave them water to drink. He gave them a fire in the, in the sky to keep them warm at night. He gave them a cloud in the sky to hide the parching sun that would keep them and shelter them from the desert heat. God had performed great things for them and Moses did not want the people generations past him to forget what God had done. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't need to forget what God has done in your life 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Generations from now need some type of memorial in worship to know I'm worshiping God because I love him. I'm worshiping God because he brought me out. I'm worshiping God because he healed my body. Somebody glorify the Lord. This manna was a type and shadow of Jesus Christ who by the Bible says in John 6 and 50, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. Jesus says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Later, they put in it Aaron's rod that budded. What is the big deal with a rod that budded? Numbers 17 and 7, the Bible says in Moses, laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. And it came to pass that on the morrow, the next day, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloom blossoms and yielded almonds in less than a 24-hour span. That was a miracle. That was a sign from God. The Ark of the Covenant was a picture of Jesus Christ. The Acacia Wood speaks of the indestructible humanity of Jesus. He was simply 100% man. God himself became flesh, suffered the agonies of the human experience. The Bible tells us he was tempted. (laughs) He was weary. He thirsted. He had to learn the scriptures like you do as a man. Uh, He didn't start quoting the scrolls at two years old. He had to learn the scriptures. He, He had to learn obedience to the voice of God as a man. Not only does the acacia wood tell us he was 100% man, but the pure gold in which the ark was overlaid with reminds us that at the same time, he was simply and undeniably 100% God. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He used the same wording in the Hebrew in this New Testament passage, I am. The words I am in the Hebrew were the exact same words that God spoke to Moses from a burning bush. And Moses said, who do I tell them sent me? He said, tell them that I am sent you. Some 2,000 years later, Jesus says, I am he. And he was the same God 
that stood there saying I am as the same God that spoke to Moses when he said tell them I am. He is God in the flesh. The Jewish Messiah, none other than Jehovah himself, was visiting the people, becoming, becoming their Savior, became our Savior by dying for the sins of the world. The crown of gold around the top of the ark speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus overcame the onslaught of opposition that was against him his whole life by religious leaders, by wealthy Jewish aristocracy, by Rome itself, and even the power of the enemy. He overcame death itself. He rose triumphantly and was given a crown and glory and honor because he is the king. According to John, it was Jesus who Isaiah saw seated on the throne with the angels singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. According to John, Isaiah saw Jesus as none other than that God high and lifted up. If you were to examine the ark in the history of the ark, it would be striking resemblances between the ark and the ministry of Jesus Christ. The ark went before the people. Jesus went before the people. The ark was in the middle of God's people. Jesus is in the middle of his people. The people were to follow the ark. We are to follow Jesus. The ark was death to those that were enemies of God. The ark brought also blessings and curses. It's design. It's purpose, it's use, it's reason for being, it's reason for existence was simply that it might be an outlet for the presence of an almighty God to operate in the lives of his people. The ark was a box. The ark was a box, but it was unlike any other box. It was the residing place for Jehovah God. The camp was built around it. I mentioned to you earlier that it was the first piece of furniture mentioned. Although it was the last piece of furniture the priest would ever get to. And the reason for this is you don't have anything if you don't build your life around the presence of God. Your life must be built around the will of God. The will of God cannot be built around you. The presence of God does not design itself around you and what you want. It requires a complete and undeniable submission to God not knowing what's next. Now I realize it's 2013, but let me preach for a little while tonight. I realize submission's a hard word for us to grab. And I realize the task of letting go of ourselves not knowing what's next may seem impossible. But if you are going to have a successful journey in God, He requires that His presence be first and everything else be last. Oh, glory. God wants everything about you. Your choices, your homes, your cars, your jobs, your spouse, your, your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your selections that you make, every one of them matter. Go get in debt real good and then let God call you into some form of ministry and you can't do it because you're in debt. You'll live with that the rest of your life. Understand me now. 
Oh, well, God called me. He'll get me out. No, not because of your ignorant choices. He won't. Your choices matter and have consequences whether they're the right ones or wrong ones. And God is full well capable to call you to something and you can't do it and that's your fault. Yeah, I understand He's full of grace, but we cannot use grace all greasily and think we can just do anything we want to and there's no consequences because He's a God of grace. That's what the non-denominational movement preaches. You don't have anything without the presence of God. You don't have a family. You don't have a life. You can make all the money in the world and still be miserable. Obed Edom saw the blessings of God for three months while the ark was in his house. There was a man who reached up to touch the ark to keep it from falling because they were mishandling the ark to begin with. The ark was supposed to be on the shoulders of the priest. They put it on a technological cart. It wasn't the will of God. So he died. David, the Bible tells us, rescued the ark from the enemy. And on his return, he marched six paces. Dance. Six paces and dance. Six paces and dance. Six. I don't know how long the journey was. I didn't look it up, but six paces and dancing, it's going to take a while to get there. What are you saying? I'm saying don't come to church with leaving on your mind. When we get in the presence of God, we need to learn to stay a little while. We need to learn how to enjoy His presence. And not watch the clock. Now I believe in using God's time wisely and if nothing's happened, we're going to move on. Amen. But when it's happening, let it happen. Well, I feel the presence of God. And when He's stirring, let Him stir. Matter of fact, I think we need to get up and help Him stir every once in a while. And then what Paul said? Stir up the gift. We need to stop waiting on God to stir up what we have the spoon in our hand to stir ourselves in worship. We need to stir up the gift of God and let God take care of everything else. Whew, this feels good. An 85-year-old man was sitting on a park bench crying. Passerby who noticed the tears running down the man's cheeks stopped to see if he could be of any help. I don't mean to intrude, he said, but is there anything I can do to relieve your distress? Are you sick? No. My doctor says I'm as healthy as a 30 year old man. That reminded me of Bishop when I read that. <laughs> do you need some money? No. I have millions in the bank. Is it your wife? Is anything wrong at home? The 85-year-old man replied between sobs. He said, no, everything's fine there. I have a big, beautiful house. I have two new cars and a swimming pool. And I have a wife who is a superb cook, treats me like a king and loves me madly. Why in heaven's name are you crying? Asked the passerby. To which the old man replied, I can't remember where I live. 
Now, as sad as that is, allow me, if you will, for a moment to take a spiritual application to that story. I wonder how many of us sit in some form of difficulty tonight simply because you've forgotten some things that you need to remember. I wonder how many of us are contemplating our lives and wondering why things are the way they are. Perhaps you've even asked yourself the question, why have things turned out the way they have? Malachi 3 and 6 says, and let me remind you, for I am the Lord, I change not. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to take a path back to the old landmarks tonight. And we need to remember that God is still the same God he was when he saved you. God is still the same God he was when you were baptized in Jesus' name and when you received the Holy Ghost. He's still the same God. He changes not. You cannot make an infinite God finite. You cannot make an eternal God temporal. You cannot make the creator of the earth subject to geographical areas on the globe. You can't tell God that he can't move in Tokyo at the same time he's in Illinois. Why? Because he's God. He's never been nor will he ever be subject to this world. People have placed so many limitations on God that they don't even leave much of a God to believe in. I'm not talking about sinners. Church people, we place so many limitations on God that we don't leave there being enough room for there to be a God to believe in. Because if He don't answer our prayer when we want Him to, hear me now, If he doesn't move and worship the way we think he should, we've already settled the rest of the service. If it hasn't happened in the first song, it's not happening. Yeah, that's good preaching, preacher. If the preacher doesn't preach what we think he should have said, then I'm not listening. If he goes longer than I think he ought to go. Wednesday night? That didn't kill anybody. And if you, uh, let me give you a little 15 second commercial. I got to thinking about this the other night. And, and I, I am one, I admit, I am one, especially during the middle of the week. Wednesdays, I hate Wednesdays other than the fact I like church. All right? I usually don't get supper till after church. And, and I hate that. I get hungry. Brother Freddie, I got thinking about that the other night when Pastor gave us the declaration up front that he was probably going to transgress the 8.30 hour. And I thought, my goodness, what am I going to do when I get home anyway? I'm going to change clothes. I'm going to shower and shave. I'm going to fix me some supper, and I'm going to sit down and watch TV. Now, can I just be real with you for just a moment? If I could just for a moment imagine that I'm not much different than you. The only thing I missed Wednesday night was TV. And I can guarantee you that didn't hurt me any. And the extra 20 minutes of Holy Ghost word I got did benefit my soul. That didn't hurt anything. 
But if the preacher's not preaching by a certain hour, we don't think he should. And when he gets up here to preach and tries to expound what God's laid on his heart, in our flesh we're thinking, who's he think he is? Now, I've already canvassed the auditorium tonight. We're nothing but home folks tonight. And Pastor can edit this before he puts it on the podcast. That's his prerogative. But I feel like preaching to home tonight. I feel like preaching to First Apostolic Church tonight. We have put as a church limitations on God that cause us in a spiritual sense to look no different than that everywhere we walk. We've got ourselves in a box. We've got our vision in a box. We've got our mentality of God in a box. We don't see anything but the things that are directly in front of us. And God, I told him, God's got so many other things in his church that he has established for victory and established for your life that God wants us to get him out of the box. Somebody wave your hands to the Lord and love him. I don't want to put God in a box. Woo. We need to remember tonight, I understand that the knowledge of man has increased. We can have enough degrees to match a thermometer. And, and I am pro-education. You that know me know that. But I also know in the presence of God that that has limitations. I understand tonight that God is God and I have no influence in the matter. God used ignorant and unlearned men in the New Testament. Now by the time we get to the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul had the equivalent of two PhDs by the time he was done. So, so we, we should not think, because there's a group of people out there that preach ignorance as spirituality. I know what I'm talking about because I could take you to a church tonight. Not in this area, but I could take you to a church tonight that preaches that stupidity and ignorance is God. That's why the only people they see saved are their family. That's a trap. We need to let God be God no matter who it is. We need doctors and lawyers. We need bankers. We, we, we need some Edward Jones Wall Street professionals. And we need some people out of the ditch. We need some people out of the motel that charges by the hour. Hello, folks. And we need to let our spirit ride over our flesh and get over the fact that they're sinners. Because the Bible declares very plainly in scriptures that were written to you and me as the church, for such were some of you. Yeah. What are you saying, Brother Mason? I'm declaring tonight that we need not forget where we came from. That he's the same God and he changes not. And if God could change me out of my heresy, if God could change me out of my sin, if God could deliver my mind and deliver my heart, then God can do the same thing for my community. It's too easy for us to forget who God really is. We are 
I believe without the shadow of a doubt we are the most blessed people on the face of planet earth. Perhaps, Bishop, the only other people that are more blessed than we are are his family. We've got something they don't have. We've got something Israel don't have. Now, granted, they've got something we don't. But we've got something they don't have. That's the revelation of who the Messiah is. I'm glad, Sister Craig, I know that he's more than just a good teacher. I'm glad that Jesus is more to me than just a good, a good minister. He's more than just a good man. He is Jehovah God. He is the God with us. He is the unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given. He's more than just a feeling. Let, let me go back to my Wednesday night commercial. The reason I have believed, I've been raised in the apostolic church, and I have believed this my entire life, and unless God shows me differently somewhere between now and then, either between now and the rapture or now and my death, I believe that it will stay the same. But here is the primary ingredient or component to why I think Bible studies is such a difficulty. We don't shout. Now there's nothing says that during good teaching you can't amen and whoo, glory, amen, praise God. And there's nothing that says you can't take off and run and shout. But our mentality of teaching, and rightfully so to a certain extent, is that we sit and we listen. And coming from a spirit-filled atmosphere, where the, on Sundays our connection to God is such an overwhelming and powerful emotional response. We as a people, the apostolic culture, we as a people struggle to listen. While there are denominations who are not spirit-filled, who do not have the Holy Ghost, that do not run the aisles, do not lift their hands, do not clap their hands, they, they have boring music, They get up and read poems. I'm not being critical, okay? Just comparing. But they, they don't have the emotional response at all. There is no connection. But they've got something we don't have. They've got a level of maturity that they will sit and they will listen and they will learn. And they'll come back every time the church doors are open. Because they listen. And they listen. And they listen. Some of them have a more proper response than we do. Because our answer in our flesh, if we're not careful, our answer, and I've not come to preach and be critical tonight. I want, I want to somehow awaken us to some things. Our answer is, is that, oh, that's boring. I don't want to go. If I've got to sit and listen, that's boring. We need to learn to sit and listen. We should be getting up on a Wednesday night saying, sit down, we need to teach. Why? Because he's more than just a feeling. If, if, if you're a genuine apostolic, you should never leave this church and say church was boring. If you're a leader in this church, you better never leave this church and say it was boring. <laughs> you, 
You leave and say that was what God wanted for us. Because he's more than just a feeling. If you operate in your life with God based on feeling, it's no wonder you're going to struggle. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the feeling. Our worship is accompanied by an emotional response. But do not mistake an emotional response for worship. Anybody can cry. That don't mean they repented. The Bible says godly sorrow worketh repentance, not just tears alone. Anybody can lift their hands. That doesn't mean they're worshiping. But if you're worshiping, you're going to lift your hands. If you're worshiping, you're going to respond in some measure. Now, I admit there are times that I think we raise our hands and we're really not worshiping yet, but before it's over, we are. Yeah, keep, 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 keep doing that. But he's more than just a feeling. He's more than someone who forgets my past. He's more than just someone who does good. He is God. In Jeremiah chapter 31, the people had reasoned to themselves that Jehovah God was not as beneficial to them as He had been in times of old. As a result, God answered them with His everlasting love, reminding them that His love is not changeable. In Lamentations 3 and 22, it says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The only reason why we haven't died in our sin is because of His mercy. You can make a mistake today, and tomorrow is a new day. But I ask you the question tonight, where have you put God? God is not confined to the limitations of man. God, in the Old Testament, let, let me say this. This isn't in my notes. I'll take my glasses off so I can't see you. God is not confined to your limitations. God is not confined to your timetable. I was teaching in Sunday school class this morning. We were talking about Abram before he was Abraham. And it took 14 years from his initial promise of his son Isaac for him to see the promise come to pass. In the middle of that, he made a huge mistake and error. And he laid with his wife's maid. And he had Ishmael. You Bible readers know the story. God did not honor that. And God did not bless that. That was a fleshly, carnal mistake. That was an impatient mistake of a man saying... Well, it was actually his wife, but the man listened. So we can't just blame Sarai. Like Adam, he should have said no. All right, men? Amen. Preach. Thank you. But like that, like us, many times, the blessing and the promise of God, thus saith the Lord, I will do thus and such, thus and so, saith the Lord. A year goes by. Two years goes by. Five years goes by. Seven years goes by. Ten years goes by. He's still remembering the word. Sees no fruit of the promise. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm talking to somebody tonight. He sees no fruit of the promise whatsoever. So they decide to take matters into their own hands and say, well, I think this is the direction we need to go. Wrong. 
Let me tell somebody tonight, just because God hasn't answered your prayer yet doesn't mean He's forgotten. I've got things, Bishop, that were prophesied over me as a teenager. I still haven't seen come to pass. That doesn't make the Word of God of no effect. And I'm not going to go jumping in line to push it. But the beauty of this whole story, it's not all humdrum. The beauty of this whole story is, yes, Abraham made a huge mistake. Abram made a huge mistake. He, he made a mistake so big that we still see the implications of it in the Middle East today. The countries we're at war with today are the descendants of Ishmael. And God put a curse on them and said that they will fight among themselves forever. You don't see any other country in the world outside of Iran and Iraq that fight themselves the way they do. That's Bible. You go to Genesis. That's Bible. Now, the beauty of it is, Brother Terry, God didn't tell Abram, you're done, buddy. You made a mistake. God didn't do that. Even after Abram made such a huge error, an error that God knew that would last until eternity, God still blessed him. It wasn't immediate. There was still some patience. There was still some time to wait. But God still blessed him. What are you, what are you saying? I'm saying that God doesn't operate on our timetable and just because he hasn't delivered you yet doesn't mean he's not going to. Either you're not ready or the people around you aren't ready. But there's one thing for certain. God no longer lives in a box. Amen. God don't live in a box anymore. He got out of the box 2,000 years ago. Imagine with me, if you will, prior to Calvary, prior to God robing Himself in flesh, prior to New Testament covenant, your only hope of being saved was dependent on a man once a year to go before God on your behalf. Would you like that? I don't think so. Now, God has gotten out of the box. Now, God is alive. The Bible says He dwelleth in us. He was with them, but He told them later, I shall be in you. The box no longer matters. The box now is just a piece of furniture. The box now doesn't house the presence of God. You do. So we need to acknowledge the miracle of God's presence. And we need to work hard at making sure God's presence doesn't become so routine to us. How many of you ever got used to church? It's not a trick question. It's all right. You can raise your hand. We get used to church. We get accustomed to certain things. We get accustomed to feeling what we feel. And when we're new, man, it just feels so fresh. And you can see new folks now when they come in the door and, and, and it take three sticks of TNT to get us doing anything and they're just like, woo -hoo 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 -hoo. 
And I think, Lord have mercy, what's wrong with them? The reality is, what's wrong with me? Amen. So we need to work hard. We need to work consciously to make sure God's presence doesn't become routine to us. And the only way this can be done is by refusing to let our flesh get comfortable in worship. By refusing, making a conscious choice to not let our flesh get comfortable in worship. What's that mean? That means when Brother Terry's up here leading worship or whoever's leading worship, you're engaging in worship. That means now's not the time for me to make a trip to the restroom. I've got to engage in worship. Now's not the time for me to, 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 to go to another room. Now's not the time for me to go visit somebody. The foyer shouldn't be a gathering place at any time other than before church and after church. Unless you're out there praying somebody through. That'd be all right. There were problems that plagued NASA years ago in their attempt to reach Mars. In 1997, the Mars Pathfinder lander riveted the nation's attention with a live feed from Mars' surface. People were fascinated by live pictures of the planet's surface. The future looked bright for a new and improved NASA. They planned to send one mission to Mars every 26 months. But to do this, they had to follow a new policy by their head director, Dan Golden. Faster, better, and cheaper. To design these missions for about one-tenth of the cost, they cut staff, poorly trained the remaining staff, they overworked their navigation teams, giving them responsibilities for up to three missions at a time. They tried to get a quality product without putting money, effort, and time into it. The next two missions were utter failures. In September 1999, the Mars Climate Orbiter failed due to a simple mistake. The builder had used English units of measure in the systems while NASA operators used metric units. In December 1999, the Mars Polar Lander broke into thousands of tiny pieces as it hit the surface of Mars at 50 miles an hour because the design flaw cut the braking system off too soon. This flaw, the engineering team acknowledged, could have been prevented by running a software simulation ahead of the launch, but it was not purchased due to lack of funding. Now, their skipping steps ended in disaster. Lost millions of dollars. We can quickly and easily scoff at these engineers and judge them for their simple oversight. But I wonder tonight in a spiritual context how many simple oversights we make. By just passing off the presence of God as though He's still just sitting in a box. We put God in a box when, he don't, when we don't believe He's big enough to do what He needs to do. God has changed directions in my life more times than I can count. There were times I thought I was supposed to do a certain thing, Bishop. And God said, no. 
And he didn't always say no in a manner in which that was pleasing to me. My flesh had to get over it. There were doors that have been opened in my life that I thought may have been God that weren't God. One such door was extended to my family earlier this year, earlier 2012. My family began to pray about it, fast about it, wondering what the will of God might have been. Up until last week, I didn't have the answer. Just living by faith, just loving God, Brother DePriest. Not, not itching to open a door, not raring to make a name for myself, just wanting the will of God. We didn't get in any hurry. No hurry whatsoever. We didn't put a timetable on God. We just said, God, if this is your will, you start working it out. If not, that's fine. I, I, I learned a long time ago that being called to preach didn't mean I had to pastor. I'm just using myself as an example. You need to apply this to your own life. But being called to preach doesn't mean I'll pastor, Bishop. And you know I'm okay with that. There's a lot of other people that get upset with me being okay with that. They'll get over it. If I'm going to err on anything, it's going to be on the side of safety. God wants to kick me out of the nest, He can kick me out of the nest. But I'm not going to go raring to just any open door and say, oh, they offered me a church, I'm going to take it. Just because they offered it didn't mean it was God. And I'm not talking about a home missions work either. Building's twice the size of this one. And I hope we edit this out of the podcast. Thank you, Pastor. He'll hear that when he listens to the tape. My point tonight is... A door that opens doesn't mean God. And a door that closes doesn't mean it was God. Man can try whatever they want to. I got my answer last week when I got a job in Mount Carmel that should have never opened. My wife and I looked at each other and said, Well, we got, guess we got our answer. Sure did. I feel pretty good about that. Why? Because that was God. I'm, I fear sometimes, and I, I've preached too long already. You can stand with me. That'll make you feel better. You, you can stand. Seriously, I'm about done. I fear sometimes when it comes to finding and seeking the will of God that we get in too big of a hurry. Every man that feels a stir in his heart isn't called to preach. That doesn't mean you don't have something. Every woman that feels a stir in her heart is not an evangelist's wife. But they could be a good Sunday school teacher. Every person that loves other cultures and countries is not necessarily a missionary. I love other countries and cultures, but I also like coming home. God knows what you need. 
God knows what He wants for your life. Let's just stop putting Him in the box. So many times we've put God in the box. And we say, God, if it be your will. And all the while, we're staring at God in the box and He's trying to work out here. This altar is open tonight. I extend to you an opportunity to come and just... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.